Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Welcome back to Brewing with BIM. I am your host, Joey Whitney, and with me is David Campbell. What's up, David? What's up, Joe? How you doing? I'm doing well, my man. I said your host, but you're also the host, so I don't know. We're, yeah, we're both hosts. It's a co-host relationship, you know? Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we seem to do that a lot, quite a bit lately, man, like uh, yeah. uh, today even. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know, David and I hosted a Dynamo presentation uh, for a global you know, webinar called um, Festival of BIM and Digital Construction. Yeah. Both co-hosting again, man. Love yeah, it. it was coast. It was it was a good time, man. We had a panel discussion, and uh, we had a lot of uh, experts. And it, it, what I really love about our presentation today is that everybody's experience was different. Whether you know we had we had someone that actually went through and and they concentrated on coding. That was their kind of background. It's transitioned into Dynamo, and they're writing several scripts into. Um, uh, let's say a actually uh, someone in production, you know, he's an electrical uh, modeler, MEP modeler, and um, figured out how to use. <laughs> we got the neighbors riding by on their razors out here. I love the country. I love the country so much. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a beautiful a, backdrop, man. It is. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful night out here in Indiana. I tell you what, uh, today was pretty warm, but it's not as as humid. Um, another thing I didn't realize that I missed, but um, if you look out over the field, they got a pond area and stuff over here to my left. There's fireflies everywhere, right? Yeah. It's crazy how much, uh, how little of uh, these things kind of bring you back to your younger times, you know, bring back memories. We've been seeing them around here, and I don't, I don't think I've seen or at least noticed a lightning bug or a firefly or whatever you want to call them uh, for at least 20 years. Like I just, maybe I, maybe they weren't around or maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but all of a sudden I saw it. And my, my daughter who's seven's like, oh, they have them here. Like, yeah, it's like leaning on. It's like, it's sitting on our screen, just glowing. It was pretty cool. Yep. But, it's magical, dude. Used to run around when we were kids and catch all of them. And now my kids are doing it. This is cool, but Get you gotta let them go. Yeah. You gotta let them go. Let <laughs> you go. Can't keep them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. Yes sir. Yes sir. So uh, festival of BIM. It was a great presentation. Yes. Um, it was. I really liked it. So if you guys haven't uh, haven't seen it, um, you know we'll include a link to the to the webcast for that, so you guys can check it out. If you're not using Dynamo or haven't you know explored Dynamo yet, it's uh, it's probably a great conversation to get you in there. Uh, after the presentation, I had about six or seven uh, uh, LinkedIn requests based off of that. Uh, people asking, one of the comments in particular said, I feel really empowered now to get into Dynamo. Like that, that to me was like, oh, well, we, we touched great. Person. Yeah, it was worth it. it. You know, it was, yeah, yeah, heck yeah. I mean, honestly, we brought up a lot of good points with ROI, you know, getting into Dynamo, what makes you or what made you make that decision, you know, and when you're developing new scripts, um, how or what is your process to develop them? You know, is it project based or is it um, actual template based? What makes sense with the timeline and how how much time do you want to use on these scripts and how far do you want to take them? You know, are you using deep? Are you doing deep dives, which, which could cost you more in, in terms of time? Right. And what is it going to possibly return um, at the end of the day. Yeah, so I think the the main three takeaways for me were uh, one, uh, ease of use, you know, the ability to learn it, um, you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Number two, the the instant ROI. Um, everybody that did it so far said that they the the time savings that they took uh, that that they achieved with their Dynamo scripts on that first project. Um, quickly made up for any time that they sank into learning. And, and in an extreme instance, 
one of the gentlemen uh, cut his cost down. What did he say by seventy five percent? Like he yeah he he cut his time time down, but it would have taken him uh, you know you know for example a hundred hours to do only took them twenty five hours to do. So they shaved seventy five percent of their 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 uh, time off by creating Dynamo scripts. Um, and these, you know, first time Dynamo scripts. So that's pretty awesome. Like coming out of the gate, yep. hit a home run. Um, yeah, heck yeah, feels great. Yeah, and then uh, so uh, ease of use, instant ROI. Um, you know, I blank it on the third one, but uh, <laughs> oh, uh, um, <laughs> uh, use cases like the the amount of unique use cases, um, and then also to hear that like. Oh, we were having similar issues as somebody else. They shared scripts, so therefore we took it and tweaked it. Like you're not the only one that faces issues. Yes, there will be some unique, unique to you circumstances, but for the most part, everybody's uh, experiencing issues. And there might be somebody who's already created a script for you to start from, uh, or at least got an idea out there for you to recreate as your own. And maybe you want you know set it up differently, but whatever. But it'll give you an idea on how it's supposed to run, and and it's just it's such a, an empowering, powering feeling to be able to get in there and, and make the software do more than it's supposed to one without having to, um, you know, contract development teams, uh, two, not having to buy expensive, you know, plugins to make it do that stuff. And three, it really enables you to be a coder. Like, I think that's, we're starting to see that a little bit more, even though it's not real. Like when you think about it in terms of like syntax and like, you know, like real coding, developing stuff in the script. script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're getting, you can get into some of that stuff, but uh, it's all visual. It's just, it's so much easier, so much more intuitive. Um, and you, you know, play around with it for six months, and you're you're bound to have some some good wins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, you know, I'm gonna go back to hashtag David is a hippie, but I love how everybody is sharing this information, right? As you said, there, um, a lot sharing of people are is having this. Sharing is caring, <laughs> whoop, whoop. Um, but everybody's sharing this information, you know, and I, I called it, uh, I called them playbooks earlier because that's how I think of them. But you got all these Dynamo scripts that you can look up in the library and go through and, and pick out your playbook, like really run your perfect plays in Dynamo um, and, and just set everything together. And then there are scripts, as I said, that are already done that you guys can take a look at. And kind of see how they work. And again, with talking and and sharing this information some more, you're able to tweak it, right? And most times you can tweak it and make it work for exactly what you want. Well, chances are somebody else could use that data, right? Somebody else could use that and somebody could take that and kind of push it further. And everybody's sharing this information to help push it, which I really love. You know, uh, what is it? Project Refinery. I do love that generative design kind of um, with Dynamo and, and everybody's sharing this information to help us kind of grow as an industry. I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm on board 100%. And uh, I think we've... We've done our first tangent accidentally, guys. So you, Ooh, you guys boom. don't know. But this actually has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. So uh, <laughs> without, without further ado, my man, what are you drinking? All right. So tonight I am uh, drinking a India Pale Ale from 18th Street Brewery out of Hammond, Indiana. And it is actually uh, a, a pretty awesome a <laughs> pretty pretty awesome can here so let me move that over into the into the screen here it's called sex and candy and i don't know if you guys can see but all over it it's got uh, little fuzzy handcuffs whips strawberries and candy <laughs> nice so so yeah. the the packaging is cool but how does it taste so actually it, i i drank a couple of them before this podcast and it is. It is actually. It's. It's a really good citrusy IPA. It's just heavy. I've noticed it is pretty heavy. Your typical, you know, IPA is going to be quite filling after one and a half to two of them. But uh, yeah, it does taste. Uh, it does taste good. It's a nice finish, honestly. I wish we had the rights. We could cue some uh, Macy's Playground in the background. I smell sexy. Candy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it. Stop or we'll get sued. Uh, <laughs> not not for using the song, but for butchering it. Uh, so, uh, my man, I have um, got my little concoction that we were talking about earlier. 
so uh, for those of you guys that don't know, I was on the Construction Dorks podcast today, and uh, I was debating on what I was going to drink, and David and I had a little back and forth, and we were talking about uh, what to put in this. I had um, some iron smoke whiskey left over from our podcast where I drank this. It's from Rochester, New York. I go up there about once a month to hang out with my wife's family. Uh, I'll be heading up there for the 4th of July. And, um, uh, you know, with that, I've been, you know, I told you, Dave, I've been on this kick where I was pickling everything. Well, one week I decided to candy some lemons. Um, and uh, I've got a bunch of candied lemons in here. My wife picked up some cherries, fresh cherries, uh, last week. Uh, so I'm, you know, trying to finish those up. So I muddled some fresh cherries. I've got these candied lemons in here. I put a little spray, you know, a little, little uh, dusting of a nutmeg and cinnamon in there to give me that uh, little bitters flavor. And then I've got a little bit of a uh, uh, blackberry flavoring in there. So I've got myself, I'm dubbing this the uh, blackberry old fashioned. Um, it's uh, it's quite delicious. It's not orange. It's using lemon, but uh, I think it's still on point, man. It's pretty damn good. Okay. Okay. And next time I come up, we'll have to try it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I decided to get a little smart about this. So earlier today, probably about three or four of these on the on the uh, Construction Works podcast, all in a span of about an hour, hour and, <laughs> hour and 15 minutes. And what I made the mistake of doing was just pouring more whiskey in here because, you know, upstairs, I don't want to go upstairs, remake this cocktail. So I just kept topping it off. Um, so this first one is mostly sweet, mostly, uh, <laughs> mostly ingredients. Probably only about uh, 25% uh, whiskey. So what I'm going to start doing is, you know, as I get about halfway through or quarter way through, I'll start topping it off there. Um, hopefully it'll still have lots of uh, <laughs> syrup or uh, not syrup, uh, uh, flavorings and stuff in there. Not yeah. so much, not so much the whiskey because I, uh, I was feeling it, man. Uh, we had some errands to run this afternoon. And I, I just told, looked at my wife and she goes, do you need me to drive? I said, yes, yes, I do. Yes, <laughs> yes I do. Let's do this. By the way, uh, I don't know if you got to tune into it, but it was a live, they do a live podcast, which is pretty interesting. And it's something maybe we think about in the future. I don't know. Maybe do a live episode from time to time. Um, they do Zoom and they, uh, you know, did a live webcast with it. And they had, you know, like 40 or so people in attendance. Plus they post it. So, you know, they'll capture thousands more later on. Yeah. But uh, uh, it was, it was a very interesting format. It was kind of like, uh, um, uh, you know, there was a moderator and it was kind of like a battle back and forth. Uh, I was pro Excel. Then there were other people that were pro power BI and it was, it was kind of cool. Very dorky, like lived up to the name construction dorks, great podcast. And maybe sometime we'll uh, talk about a, uh, a crossover or something, but, uh, yeah, uh, dude. uh, anyways, guys, check them out. That was great. Uh, I only feel, you know, I, I feel it's fair that I give them a shout out on this podcast because I gave, us a shout out on their podcast. <laughs> I was like, what do you do? And I was like, I, I'm, you know, I, I it's a podcast brewing with BIM. We drink beer and talk about BIM, construction technology. So I was like, all right, all right, you know, let's, let's give them a shout out here. Uh, but cool though. Anyways, anyways, so we got a great episode today. Uh, and I know it's great because you and I did the same episode yesterday only to find out that we had some audio issues. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you know, David and I, we don't, um, uh, we don't script the tangents. It's uh, it's all ad-libbed 100%. Uh, but uh, we do have a few topics in mind that we want to talk about. We're going to get through SIM. We're going to talk a little bit about Bluebeam. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, layout. And they kind of all flow together uh, in some facets, um, you know, some way or another. We'll make them fit. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> we'll make time for tangents. Don't worry yeah, about that. But, but there'll be plenty <laughs> of tangents wrapped in there. And the reason why we feel that these are very important topics are just given things that Dave and I are dealing with in the industry at current moments. Um, you know, we're working more and more, uh, you know, while we're on the BIM side, you know, we also cross over a lot in the SIM side, um, dealing with the information inside of infrastructure models. Uh, David and I, I haven't touched Civil 3D in, in years, you know, like I, I purposefully uninstalled it on my computer so I wouldn't have to touch it. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, Joe, we need you to do this. Ah, damn, I got to reinstall. Um, but that said, you and I, you know, we, we went through some some pretty cool workflows in Civil 3D, Infoworks. Um, we, you know, got into some stuff with uh, Bluebeam there. We, you know, we were working with all kinds of scan data, like 
I think we had some fun on that project, man. I think I had a, uh, I definitely geeked out a little bit. Oh yeah, I definitely geeked out on that project. It was a lot of fun. I mean, seeing the scan data itself um, was very cool. I haven't really ever played with that type of scan data before. You know, I've I've um, got a lot of from commercial buildings, things like that, even um, process plants, architectural models. Um, but that was my first time seeing or kind of playing with um, roadway data, right? And then being able to see all the line work, all the uh, like the notches in the pavement, it was it was a good scan. And I mean, they said what? They were going uh, 45 miles per hour yeah. and did three passes on it. So, I mean, it's not even like, obviously, I, I, I think that you would want to go slower and maybe try to catch all of that data. Like, you know, but in in, in going 45, they, they caught a lot of that data and it looked pretty good coming into um well, we were able to take it into collage, process it, and then uh, export the orthos and send those into Civil 3D. Yeah, it was a lot easier than sharing the actual um, point cloud back and forth, you know, mm-hmm. bandwidth dependent, all that fun stuff. Uh, that said, though, we you know we ended up di- uh, getting the uh, the raw scan data. The orthos were just fine. Everything was geo-referenced, which I really liked. Yeah. I had yeah. played with a lot of roadway drone data before, um, and I'd gone through linear feature extraction with that, just playing around. But uh, uh, I've ne- you're right, man. I've, I've never, ever taken a roadway scanner data. Uh, that RDM1 scanner was pretty nice, and yep. it, it got everything you know right on point. Yeah, even got the houses off the road. You could take measurements on how far the houses were from the road. That was pretty neat. Yeah, I was wishing he didn't clean up the data set and send it to us. I would have loved the raw data file that he sent with yeah. everything in it. Because <laughs> yeah. it pulled, what did, what did he say? It was just a hair under 180 degrees, but it pulled everything. Yep, yep. I think those cool. houses were like 31 feet away, and it definitely got the sides of the houses and stuff as you passed. So that yeah. was pretty cool. Got landscaping um, I, and got everything. It's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. It was, dude. I uh, I thought it would be um, I thought it'd be really cool. You know, we kind of talked about this. If we got gutters in it, or I'm sorry, for curbs, gutters. Good lord. If we got curbs in there and uh, took well, that if into. If you got a curb, you got a gutter. Just saying, man. <laughs> That's true. Um, but you got that curb, man. If you could take that into uh, Infoworks, I know we're going to talk about feature extraction here in a little oh. bit, but. If you could take that data and, and start pulling the curbs, the sidewalks, everything like that from Inforx, that's that's pretty awesome. It is. Yeah, so that workflow is the one that I'm more familiar with. And I was using that with drone data. I had some sample data sets I got from a contact over at Autodesk that allowed me to do this, you know, maybe a year ago. Um, I hadn't really played with it too much since then. Like I said, I try to stay out of civil. I like Inforx. Um, I like being... Uh, you know, funny story, man. Uh, when I was in Oregon, I had to, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of construction on my house there. Yeah. Um, when I was getting going through the permitting process, there was like a ridiculous requirement through the county of the stuff that I need to have for my house. They're like, well, if you don't have a topographical survey, you need to have, uh, like, if we don't have it on file. You need to actually show um, two in ten contours, you know, for for your entire property. And I was like crap like do you have that they're like no we don't we don't have that for anybody that's an unincorporated you know in the unincorporated county i was like oh well um you want me to do this they're like yeah yeah just uh you know give us this data so i went to inforex got the open source data yeah plot you know uh exported that to civil brought it into revit plot my house right on top of it man Uh, that's cool i was done dude it was it was (laughs) kind of fudged in and manipulated but the funny story is I turned it over to the county and they're like, what are you doing? We don't need any of this. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you're killing me. <laughs> what do you oh. want? Oh, my God. You know, dude, my, one of my favorite parts about what we were doing um, was you, you kind of already said there everything, all the orthos were geo-referenced. When we brought it in, you like inserted it in and then position it in its actual like geolocation so in this instance we were using uh like the coordinates and then um like you you inputted the coordinate system you told it where to go and once you did that we activated an aerial map and everything lined up that was like one of the coolest things obviously i mean you know it's shared coordinates and everything Uh, it's awesome when it works right but but it's like 
that stuff, when it came in, it was, I mean, it assembled everything. You went to Google Maps, you zoom in, zoom out, and it's all there. Well, I can't tell you how many times we we, we got it wrong at first. So, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> our colleague and, and myself, he was telling me the, 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 the coordinate system that it was on. He's like NAT 83 and, you know, the state. I was like, you know, in, in the zone and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm pulling in. And it stopped pulling up. I'm like, what the heck's going on? Like, nothing's in, in the spot it was supposed to be. Um, we're, like, way off. And it all turns out, you know. Uh, it was metric. It was metric. It was metric. <laughs> I was so, like, man, this seems familiar. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm like, all right, all right. Let's just try this on meters and see where we're at. But, yeah. So, yeah. So when you're saying, like, when it works, it's like, yes, when it works, it's great. But uh, in, in our instance, and I'll be honest, in many instances, it's human error. But uh, it was definitely fun to, to go through that. And I've got a few more um, use cases just like that coming up. So we're going to be doing more of this workflow. Um, you know, there's many on our team that already do this. It was just fun for us to get to play with it. Um, you know, you and I love scan data. We love new technology. We love, yeah. uh, we love all the fun stuff. So this was uh, pretty cool to get roped into. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I definitely have ADD when it comes to technology. You show me shiny things, and I'm like, what's up? <laughs> you can give me a license to that? Yeah, yeah, just give it to me. I'll make time. I'll make time to play I'll it. figure it out. I will figure it out. <laughs> so so um, because of this project, I installed Civil 3D, and uh, I was kind of happy. I was a little surprised. Like, So... Um, you know, those that have moved to the AEC collection, the Autodesk uh, software package, know that, um, you know, it's a little bit different than the way that we used to run uh, packages. We used to have like design suites, building design suite, infrastructure design suite, you know, uh, standard premium ultimate, all that stuff. But if you choose one, it'll allow you to install everything all at once. It's a big file, like you're downloading, installing everything all at once. But the AEC collection, it's kind of a pain in the butt because you're like, ah, I got to go and install all these individually, blah, blah, blah. Like it's, you're like him and Han the whole time, but I will tell you, it downloads so much faster. Like I installed Civil 3D uh, 2021 in like 15 minutes. It was crazy, like boom, done, downloaded. Rather than uh, fighting all the, you know, communication errors, browser download, download now, going through all the different options, trying to figure out what works. It, it was instantaneous, it worked great. And then only to find out that I needed to get 2020 installed, 15 minutes later, man, I was done. That was downloaded yep. too, it was pretty nice. Yeah, man, the new downloads are pretty awesome. Um, I, I know we've talked about it on a previous podcast with Revit 2021. I thought it was interesting at the time that the family content, like Material Browser, all that, just the, the family content library does not come with the initial download of Revit. But when you sit down and think about it, for one, that download is so much faster. And a lot of times that's what hangs up your download or something that might not even download. And you have to go chase it down and down and and download the entire family library content anyways. But what I really like is the fact that they're lightening up these these downloads, but at the same time, they're pushing more content into the download itself. I mean, you're seeing Dynamo install with most design applications now. It's installing with Revit, and a lot of those packages are pretty much built in. Um, I wanted to say like a what was it? The uh, structural analysis, the robot structural analysis is actually um, downloaded within Revit. It's awesome. It's, it's nice. And, and seeing, I mean, I, from previous experience back in 2013, 2014, 2015 Revit, gosh, that download would take so long to just get that program onto your computer. It was almost like an all-day thing depending on your bandwidth. And nowadays, you're like, oh, browser download? Sure. Yeah, and I can keep doing whatever it is I'm doing. Oh, okay, Revit's installing. And, okay, here we go. I got Revit. In the same day, in a matter of maybe 30 minutes to an hour, it's nuts. Yeah. It's it's definitely um, – I definitely am a big fan of it. Uh, yeah. You know, like I was mentioning earlier where we had, like, browser download, you know, download. You still have those options, but I, I find myself not having to mess with them as much because I don't have the – the connectivity issues that are not timing out. There's like nothing yep. really going wrong. It's, it's yep. just, you know, doing pretty well. Every, you know, I think once or twice, maybe I've had to go to the manage.audits.com portal and get some specific content, but for yeah. the most part, everything, everything's where I needed to be downloads pretty quickly. 
that said, man, uh, we we had we used to run deployments because you know we got sick of keep downloading stuff, and we did a we do a lot of um, uh, installations and implementations and all that stuff. So we'd keep deployments for you know on a like two two terabyte or five terabyte how big it was hard drive external hard drive, and we'd keep deployments on there, and you know everybody would just install from that because it was just so much faster. That said, I remember installing, I think it was like Inventor or maybe it was Plant 3D, but my machine was tied up for damn near a whole day. Like yeah. I'm sitting there like, and it was like all resources tapped. Like you're not, you can't even open Outlook because it'll, you know, it doesn't have enough uh, resources <laughs> to run Outlook. Yeah. And do the ins- it was just craziness, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, those days are over, hopefully, knock on wood or faux yeah. wood, whatever this yep, is. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> faux wood there you go faux wood. it's one of these uh standing desks i got it's a uh, it's pretty cool it's like uh electric up and down which was dumb right i was like oh i want one of these electric ones because that way if i want to change my position you know up standing or sitting it's a click of a button does it instantaneously um so i opted for this electrical one which was dumb because i have a bar bar height stool that uh i sit on and it's pretty much the same, same <laughs> height you're know, sitting or standing, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not a big deal. Um, heck, if, if it was hand crank, I could just do three cranks and probably be, you know, sitting a little bit better. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was all right. It was a good Amazon buy. I think I paid like 200 bucks for it. Not a bad deal. Um, anyways, man, um, enough about my piddly office here. Um you, uh, you and I, we had some fun, like I said, on this sim, and we keep saying this term sim, civil information modeling. Uh, it's, you know, the infrastructure uh, industry's term for BIM, for uh, horizontal construction, if you will. Uh, think about, you know, pumping information in a bridge or uh, in a roadway project and uh, into pretty much anything. Um, and a lot of people don't think of civil as a database tool. They think of it as, you know, there's points, there's surfaces, it's a design tool. Uh, they don't think of it in the same way that they think about Revit. But I'm here to say, if you set up Civil 3D correctly, there's a whole database that you can tap into. Well, there's actually several databases you can tap into. You can have a points database and do all kinds of stuff there. But you can have a database specifically for your materi- materials. So just like we can do in like AutoCAD and Revit where we can apply materials, you can do the same type of stuff inside of Civil 3D, but you can also do quantity takeoff with it inside of Civil 3D. Like, you get all your costing, your calcs, all that stuff, you know, just just by setting up this uh, this uh, material database, and uh, it's pretty pretty nice. Yeah, I that said, like the uh, the line styles that we were able to um, kind of recreate from the scan from that ortho that we took in into Civil 3D. Are you talking about in Inforge, or are you talking about in Civil 3D? Okay, so I'm talking about. Um, you're right. I'm talking about InfoWorks. It is InfoWorks when we did feature extraction and we could adjust the line styles there. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. You're right. Yeah. Well, that's Dang. very important. It plays into Civil 3D in an important way. Uh, so there are different line styles. So you would set a, a line style for your your uh, edge of edge of asphalt. You would set one for you know if you had curb for your curb. Mm-hmm. And you would do all these in a certain way so that when we did our feature extraction, it would bring the curbs in as shape files. The Civil 3D, we would get the center line of the road. We could actually bring in the existing surfaces to go with it. And inside of Civil 3D, we would have pretty much an as-built model based off of the point cloud. Like it, it's yeah. a, it's a, a, a sweet workflow. And then if you got your line style set up in Civil 3D correctly, you could bring in your, your paint striping to match and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, man, pretty, pretty remarkable stuff. That was very cool. It was very cool to see. Now, I also like taking it into Bluebeam, though. I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, I mean, being able to, of course, um, well, I I really want to say it's the deliverable, right? Not only just the deliverable, but when we took the orthos and we had all the line styles, all the data, we had measurements in there and plotted it to a PDF. And sure enough, you see the intensity view of the scan. You go in, you go to comment on it, you're snapping to the point cloud itself. You're snapping to the lines, like the line uh, styles, the different measurements in it. Um, it yeah, was I, awesome. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, I have never seen an ortho in a PDF oh. uh, vectorized like that. It yep. was crisp, it was clear. The Bluebeam uh, print engine uh, did a remarkable job. It, it, 
it was a bit heavy. I think it, it, it went a little bit slower than, than, you know, a normal PDF, but that said, um, it had a lot of, a lot of information. It was very dense. Uh, well, yeah, and it had a map image behind it too, that we captured. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. So it had that aerial. A lot of, yeah. yeah. It had the aerial and it had the scan data, the orthos in there. Um, and, and we just, you know, did the typical, you know, scale, uh, scale and blue beam for, uh, to get our measurements or we did some yep. measurements to calibrate it. Yep, yeah, yep. That's the word calibrate. Dang it. We calibrated <laughs> it. Yep. We, we calibrated it to the scale and we're able to take measurements from it, man. It was awesome, but it had me thinking of a new workflow. You know, that was one of the biggest things I was trying to figure out with Bluebeam. So I'm like, man, how can I, how can I get a scan into Bluebeam review? How can I get a scan into a project or how can I get a scan into a 3d PDF? And if I can take orthos and stitch those together and bring it into Bluebeam review, that's an interesting kind of workflow because at that point I can still mark up on the point cloud. I have the full as-built existing model. That's a workflow I'll have to explore a little bit, I think. It's going to be a bit heavy. Um, somebody turned me on to something recently that uh, handles mobile, you know, um, uh, like UAV type data and stuff like that very easily now. It's called Propeller. Uh, I don't okay. know much about it. Somebody uh, uh, gave me some info and insight on it. Um, there's a local company here in Pittsburgh called uh, Identified Technologies that does a lot of drone work. And we got a, a mutual customer, but they're also looking at this other company called Propeller. But what it does is it, you know, similar stuff, but it allows you to do like um, uh, location-based um, you know, viewing of your data. So I could go walk a site and turn on my uh, GPS and my phone or whatever, yep. my tablet. Yep. And, um, you know, we were, we were talking about this before with some, some other stuff, but it's kind of gives me that. You're talking uh, about like Bluebeam Atlas. Well, it gives me the augmented reality version of the mobile data oh. as I'm walking wow. around. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That sounds very awesome. Heck Yeah. Yeah, check it out sometime. It's called Propeller, man. Uh, again, yeah. I don't know much much about it. I was gonna say, not there, a paid source person. I don't know anything. <laughs> you started talking about uh, viewing your um, point cloud data mobile. I thought you were gonna go with uh, Recap Pro, but have we have we checked anything like that out for mobile data yet? For well, for Re mobile viewing. Recap Pro was was uh, was nice, but um, I think for collaborating and sharing large file sets, um, you know. There's a lot of um, – oh, I'm trying to figure out a, a nice way of saying this. There are a lot of uh, field guys that don't want to touch any Autodesk products, not not for oh, an Autodesk. Yeah. It's just they think it's complex and, you know, it could be could be tedious. So they usually buy, like, very siloed-specific tools um, oh, okay. Okay. for their jobs, which kind of sucks because if you think about Autodesk's big mission, it's about – uh, aggregating all the data, single source of truth. So if we could get it all through BIM 360, that'd be nice. That said, we don't yet have the ability to look at point cloud data inside of BIM 360. No, not yet. Not yet. I've tried. I tried many different ways. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't the, work. The only thing I can think is uh, publishing in Navisworks and then saving that uh, uh, Navis file up to the cloud. And, and that'll get you there, man. But yeah, uh, that's true. it's not really a point cloud at that point. No, it'd be almost like those orthos. Yeah, but uh, but anyways, uh, so the agency or, or the the company that they that this project uh, owner that we were working with was uh, handing over to uh, was requiring Bluebeam. So it was very interesting that we got to tie like all aspects together and work with Bluebeam, publish up there, and Sorry. push. In. I'm sitting outside. I'm getting eaten up by these mosquitoes. I'm like, oh, man, man, I hate. Yeah, you're just talking I about how mosquitoes. You were just talking about how you love the country. And then, oh, uh, man, I love the country, and I love this pond and the fireflies. And then all of a sudden, it's like five billion mosquitoes, and it's like, what? Wait, why? <laughs> my, wife, my wife and I keep talking about uh, this is our five-year house. You know, we've, This is our third house in mm -hmm. 10 years. We just can never sit still. Um, but my wife's like, well, in five years, we should probably look at you know getting that land you've always wanted. And I'm like, yeah, the land I've always wanted. Sounds like more yard work. But – uh, it sounds great, you know, get, get a bigger piece of property, all that sort of stuff. Live, live a, bit, a little bit further out, assuming I can get some good internet still. Yeah. Um, but that said, she was uh, talking with her boss, and her boss uh, lives out in the country. They had a black bear run through their backyard. They had a, a, a snake in their house, oh. uh, two snakes in their house. Um, 
they had something else like Sandy and that's happened to me, dude. My kids, my cat used to bring snakes into the house. It, and we thought like first he brought one in and it was dead, but then he brought like two or three in and he didn't kill them. And then he left them like one in the laundry basket, one in the kid's bed. And yeah, I'm not talking about a gardener snake. I'm talking about an eight foot rat snake, man. Oh no. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what I'd do no, at that point, man. I'm going to burn down going my house. house. I'm not going in the house. Yeah, that's yeah. not happening. Burn it down. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was on his back deck, and a, a bear ran through their backyard. Um, and I was just like, ah, oh, like, walk away slowly. <laughs> Go inside. <laughs> I'm done, guys. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, man. What were you Country saying, bro? Seems... Sorry. What were you saying? I, I totally interrupted you on that tangent there. Oh, man, I got lost on the tangent with you, my man. Uh, <laughs> I think we were just talking about, like, Bluebeam being the the handover, and it was really nice to tie it all together. It was really nice to get to, to work with some of that stuff, especially get to tie into studio, because we work with a lot of people that use Bluebeam, yet yeah. they aren't leveraging the studio functionality, um, not because there isn't a use case, but just because, you know, the lack of know-how or, or whatever it is, but... Um, uh, studio is a, a very powerful feature that uh, I wish more people got to take care of. And it sounds like they're going to leverage it on this project. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, dude, actually, um, one big thing I did want to kind of highlight from that is they talked about the DOT there where they were working that, uh, um, that, excuse me, the blue beam was the requirement. The blue beam review was the requirement. That's what they used. And, it was an interesting workflow to see at that point when they can connect to the engineers, the engineers can place their comments, place markups, you know, measurements, and then actually save that into the PDF. And the beautiful thing about it is at at that point, they can take it back from PDF, insert it into civil 3d. And dude, I, I got to do that today. Actually, I played with that functionality um, and when you do it, you bring it in as it's scaled, right? And when you insert that PDF in, you zoom in, and it's it's already like overlaid. You can trace over it. You can kind of see exactly where um, these comments were made on the design and say, okay, you know, yeah, I need to change that, or this detail here needs to look like this. This needs to be 30 feet. Okay, cool. I can make that quick adjustment. I thought that was an awesome workflow. It really was. Oh, yeah, man. Bringing back the PDF in, underlaying it, making your your changes right over the top of it. Like, that's a nice workflow, man. I like it. Yep. Um, you know, and then and then uh, the PDF, like, you know, it's – so today I did this podcast, and it was all about, like, the death of Excel. They were trying to kill Excel. Yeah. When I think of Excel, I think of, like, you know, yesterday's technology. But at the same time, I think of a very powerful tool. And, and um, you know, spreadsheets in general. And, and it just get, makes me think of PDFs the same way. Like, everybody's trying to kill the PDF. They're trying to go to digital, you know, these platforms and all that stuff. But I think there, you know, if you think about it, there is so much more versatility in a PDF. Yep. Um, Not everybody you know, needs the design program. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I think, if, I think it's all about the amount of data you can capture out of the design program and into the PDF. And if you can do that, uh, that PDF becomes more worthwhile. And we're probably backtracking on some stuff because I know in the past we've talked about like BIM 360 or whatever platform they, you know, that you're going to, like, um, you know, adopting this technology is more robust, it's more powerful. And, and what it is, but uh, it isn't for everybody. And I get that. I'm conceding a little bit. And I'm just saying <laughs> PDFs hold weight, they hold power, they're great. They do. That said, you know, you can still save PDFs to BIM 360, so I guess the yes. point is moot. Well, there's so many. I, I really want to highlight a few things there, though, like uh, with with PDFs, with Excel, um, especially going into Bluebeam. Uh, I've got to see some awesome functionality with that. Um, just say you have uh, a whole costing sheet, your materials, everything already built out in, in, in Excel, right? You have all your macros, all your micros set, all your formulas are in. And all you need to do is you have certain cells that need to be filled in, right? And a lot of times on a takeoff workflow, you're going to go ahead and take off from the document, the PDF, what have you. And then you're going to manually put it into Excel. 
But with something like Bluebeam and Quantity Link, you can already take that information. Like if you just link it into the, the PDF itself and track like the subject or the label information from that markup, that measurement, you can have it autofill your Excel spreadsheet and that data is going as that document updates, right? And you start talking about studio, man. I mean, honestly, when you start connecting um, online real-time collaboration or the functionality of projects, it just gets so much better when you're talking about how these documents can be or what information can be pulled from these documents, right? I mean, it's awesome. It really is. And I don't think Excel is going to die anytime soon, especially when you can utilize something like Power BI with Excel. You know, if you're pushing out information, out, not let's push past takeoffs, right, and go into tracking statuses or progress or um, logistics of your construction site, pre-planning, anything like that. I actually wanted to get into this for my uh, XCON presentation. I wanted to go into Bluebeam for pre-planning site logistics and start tying it into dashboards with your um, CSV summaries and Power BI. And you could actually track even your construction process. Like you're tracking materials when you're getting them on site, what's on site, who's on site, you know, where these vehicles are going, where you're placing things. And then um, as the, the design actually changes itself, you can track revisions. You can track, again, um, how many materials you have arriving in different areas and different phases. It's an awesome process, and especially when you can push that information into Power BI for that digital dashboard, kind of showing you all of the data in, in graphs, right? Yeah, I think that that's a very important thing. It'd be really nice to visualize that data on, say, a map of the site. Um, mm -hmm. So you'll have graphs, but you'll also have like, um, you know, like a kind of an overlay of the, you know, of the materials and what day they'd be delivered and where on the site. Like that sort of stuff I think would be very beneficial. Um, and then another issue is, so we're talking about uh, site logistics, which is handled in a completely different software than the master planning, the master scheduling, you know, that's your P6 or whatever. And then you've got poll planning, which could be sticky notes, a whiteboard or a digital yeah. tool. So you've got three different tools to get that, that you kind of all need to talk together, but none talk together. And, I've seen some people pull some stuff together in Navisworks, but um, it's so labor intensive. Not that, you know, any other software isn't going to be labor intensive. It's just saying, like, it's so labor intensive, and yet you still don't have your master schedule really in there. It's still not managing your poll planning. Uh, you know, it's it's got a little bit of the master schedule tied in there. It's got a little bit of the uh, it's, you know site logistics and materials and all that stuff that are on there, but uh, the poll planning is so day by day, it's too tedious to do it in, in a program like that, so. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand. I mean, and in a PDF at the same time, it's it's kind of hard, but when I start, uh, when I start letting my kind of nerdiness fly, right, I, I start thinking about how can I, I can use pull information, you know, I can start creating schedules with review in terms of statuses, tracking statuses or what have you and, and pulling information, but in, in a way of using JavaScript and forms as well. So you're actually um, tracking as this data is adjusted or input, like if I change a status of a polyline that I have um, representing some type of conduit, right, and I'm, they've pulled this conduit or they pulled this wire and they've set every part of this on the, on the site, I can have it kind of track and then pull that information into a form and have that kind of um, track, again, showing you percentages or what have you, um, even with Power BI. I think what with the disconnection there is it has to go into a spreadsheet first and yeah. be uploaded. If we can take that information maybe directly from the document and, and directly input it into something like a form, I think that would be that'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think if you could leverage like a smart sheet or not, no, something even more uh, above that. So let's just say like a Microsoft project, uh, put a Power BI dashboard on it and have it account mm -hmm. for all those different disciplines we were talking about or different things to coordinate that we were just talking about, you know, the poll yeah. planning, the master schedule, the material, the site logistics deliveries, all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, crane installate. Like if this, all this yeah. stuff was planned out, uh, in a more robust fashion, um, fed to Power BI, 
maybe it updates a spread or maybe it updates a PDF and, you know, something that people are more uh, able to get a hands on because you're not buying Microsoft project licenses for everybody. It just doesn't happen. But you can publish a PI, uh, Power BI dashboard for everybody to look at. Um, and then if you get a, P, um, a PDF of, of the site and, and kind of give everybody a snapshot of what's going on, um, you know, just very powerful way to, to do stuff. Um, it is. I don't do enough with Power BI. I, I love it. I'm a data geek. I love Tableau. I love Power BI. But outside of pushing some stuff from Revit, um, playing some stuff with inside of BIM 360, um, I, I just, you know, I've done some very complex Excel spreadsheets, but, yeah. um, uh, oh, and some GIS stuff. I don't really think I've played with Power BI as much as I, uh, as much as I would like to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'd all like to get a little bit more time to spend in all these cool programs, that's for sure. <laughs> Give me a use case that fits my day-to-day so I can make the time to force myself to do this. <laughs> it's the same go. thing with Dynamo, man. Like, uh, you know, I'm not in production. I don't do anything with Revit these days. Um, I just talk about it a lot. Um, that said, like, force my hand so I have to get in there and do something and yeah. automate something in Dynamo. And that's the, that's the kick in the pants I think I need. Yeah, 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 I agree. Um, now another workflow that I'd say was pretty cool. And we, we talked about this one a while back, but it's, uh, the capability to do layout from a PDF in Bluebeam as well. You know what? When I started it, when we started this podcast, I said, we were going to tie this all together. Trust me, guys. <laughs> we were going to tie this all together. And by God, David Campbell has done it. He has brought this full circle. Sim to Bluebeam to layout. My man. <laughs> oh yeah but honestly it was a really cool workflow i mean with that vectorized data you can see the point information and 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 really if you scale it correctly you can insert it into something like magnet field and do layout from your pdf it's awesome uh, i want to say if you have the dwg guys we are not advocating to layout from a pdf no if no. you have to layout from a pdf so i you know i you know this. I came from survey construction layout, um, and it was it was very very interesting the file types we got. We most often got Civil 3D, but whenever you need to reference something, we would just look it up on our data collector and uh, look at the PDF and you know zoom in and you know the plans and kind of see um, see where we were uh, in relation. Like oh oh, there's a there's an iron rod over there. Uh, it says that it's you know between you know somewhere you know 10 feet outside of the right of way uh, over there by that corner so then you bust out your Sean set and you walk over so we use it as reference we didn't necessarily lay out from it yeah. um, but uh, you know that said I've, I've talked to many people who have and as long as this is a vectorized PDF it is scaled and calibrated correctly um, there really isn't too much of a problem man Ah, man. I mean, I, I imagine you do your Occupy and Backsite, you calibrate for off of your control points, right? Um, once you calibrate off your control points at that point, you should just be able to go around and, and recognize where those points are on that level. And it, the interesting thing to think about is if that PDF is, is vectorized and all tied together in terms of maybe coming from Revit with the point data or, or CAD, um, it, it, it's interesting because the the point data after like i said after it's calibrated it's going to be the same on those levels like that's where those points are as you go yeah. through the different sheets well typically people laying out from a pdf don't have point data and here's why mm -hmm. if they had point data they would have autodesk point layout typically to place the points therefore yeah, yeah. they would be able to kick out the dwg for the data collectors to read mm -hmm. so it's kind of a moot point in that but um if they are laying out from the pdf and it did come from a CAD program. I do have one wary. I run into a lot of people that fudge court or fudge uh, um, dimensions. Yeah. yeah. Oh my Bad gosh. Juju. Bad that is... Juju. You're trying to scale a PDF and it, you cannot figure out why it won't. And you're like, that's not a real dimension. That's I am why. An inch and three quarters off. I don't get it. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> well, the reason why is because uh, somebody was got lazy. Galaga. Yeah, <laughs> somebody was too lazy and just didn't want to move move their their walls. So all they did was they fudged the dimension to make it work. It sucks. It's a natural thing. People do it all the time. Uh, my suggestion is, you know, hopefully you own a, a seat of the program and you can actually check the dimensions in the program yourself before you get to PDF. 
Um, and if so, you know, go back and force them to make some changes or find something else to scale from because that's just that sucks. That sucks so bad. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, 3D PDFs, there's something that's interesting. Now, I don't know if you can lay off layout off, off of I don't, a 3D PDF. You can't bring a 3D PDF into a data collector. It won't work. That's that's, that's interesting. That's At least I don't. Like 90% certain you can't. There's 10% chance I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> don't quote us on statistics. Don't quote us on statistics. <laughs> um, that said, though, guys, um, you know, if you are laying out from PDFs and it is a bad CAD file, um, you know, you know, chat with your, your awesome, design teams. Yeah, figure, you know, figure it out. Well, there, somebody will be pretty honest about it and let you know that why they did it or, or, or what happened, what the, inst- what the use case was or what the, what the specific case was. Yeah. Um, now I want to say going off of that though, uh, if you want to be more accurate, of course, and as, as Joey said, you, you have APL Autodesk point layout inside of AutoCAD, Navisworks, Revit. Um, those are all going to have their benefits, right? Each kind of given whichever, uh, program you use, but uh, Joey and I are actually going to be coming out with a series about this soon. Um, yeah, we're going to start week. with next week. Yeah, yeah. We're going to start with AutoCAD, and then we're going to go into Revit and then Navisworks. And, yeah, and actually, while I'm thinking about yeah. it, let's give a. You want to give a teaser, Joey? You want to give a teaser? What, what, what would you talk yeah. about for uh, Revit or for AutoCAD? What would right, you so What would you give a teaser for AutoCAD? Like a so, big tip or trick. Hmm. Or or let's just say maybe just a teaser for that webinar. Like why would somebody want to watch our webinar about AutoCAD layout? Because it's us, damn it. uh, (laughs) We will be sober and not not drinking any alcoholic beverages. (laughs) That said, if we do have cups, I cannot vouch for what is or isn't in them. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Our employers are watching this. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Pork chops and a Is he chewing his drink? It's a Bloody Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Why does he have pickled veg in his coffee? (laughs) Is that bacon on top of his? (laughs) (laughs) It's a V8. I'm trying to be healthy. Yeah. More veggies. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, So my teaser is um, I run into a lot of people that. especially on the construction or the, so we're talking about GC, self-performing concrete guys, um, uh, subcontractors and mechanical electrical uh, plumbing. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of nuances inside of the layout process. Everybody does it. We all you know either we're pulling tape or we're laying out the total station. Uh, some uh, companies have, their own point creation software, but I'll be honest, none compare to the East and automation of the Autodesk tool. That said, I've seen some really cool stuff people are doing with Dynamo these days. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, we'll see what the future holds, but see I will tell you, holds. but I'll tell you right now, there is nothing on the market that, uh, that does it quite like Autodesk point layout, especially between the different pro- the programs talking about AutoCAD, Revit, and Navisworks. So in AutoCAD, um, if you're working with, blocks you know it's very simple you select the block you say place point on you know select select that you know, say you want to place a point on that block you select that block you place a point give it a description and it places points on all those blocks you can do that for every type of block um, another thing is uh, if you're coming from MEP content uh, those this is smart geometry it, it's not as smart as Revit but it is pretty smart it knows it's, it it knows what it is it knows you know um, that sort of stuff um, it will recognize pipe sleeves and all that stuff and allow you to automatically place points on those objects as well. That said, there are like tons of workflows for automating, not necessarily automating, but a manual points placement um, workflow that is still almost instantaneous. But my favorite workflow is um, getting your, your, your standards set with the field. So as somebody who was out in the field doing the construction layout side of stuff, um, if your description keys are off, and I say description keys, it's such a civil 3D mindset to be in. But if you say if we're talking about our our, um, um, our, our field codes, um, we want them to map with our 
what, what the guys are doing in Revit. You know, that way it's a one for one. We want our standards to come through. Like maybe we've got our job files set up so that, you know, certain things get put on certain layers. And we like our symbology in the data collector better than we like what's coming out of the CAD programs. Like we want to be able to map all that stuff. Well, inside of APL and AutoCAD, there's a, a tool that allows you to um, edit the code map so that you can, you know, one, uh, have that um, that like terminology. Uh, but also, when you do your export, your MJF uh, export out of uh, uh, out of APL. So there's several ways to do exports out of APL. You can just do a DWG with uh, with a point file. You can do just the point file. Uh, or because um, uh, APL was developed by a firm that sold both Topcon and Autodesk product, it kicks out an MGF uh, zip file. MGF stands for Magnet Job uh, Job File. Magnet is a Topcon software. But what it does is it spins up to the Magnet Cloud, does all these conversions, and then it kicks back down. And what happens is it allows you to um, select an existing job file to pull from. So if you had your standards exported into a job file already, so like I set up my job file in the data collector, I had like a, a, a set standards that I, um, you know, of, of a template essentially that I had on my desktop, I could keep adding to that job file. And that way it would always have the standards in there. So I could just always start a job from that job file essentially and add add my DWGs and all that stuff to that job file and then send that to the guys on the field, whether Magnet Enterprise has been 360, you know, thumb drive, email, doesn't matter, whatever it is. But they would have that already set up to the way that they like to see everything, already mapped, everything's done exactly the way that they want to do it, want to see it. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, a long teaser, but uh, just a cool discussion about what's possible. Um, I, th- just, I think there's so many misconceptions about the point layout tool. And, uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, it's so hard. You know, it's so hard to place points. And, uh, you know, like we've got this tedious workflow. We'll bring our CAD file into Civil 3D and then we'll use that to place points. Or we'll stay in CAD and then we'll, you know, export to a... Uh, a database or you know Excel file with all our points, and then we'll just name, number them in there, and then we'll bring in our point file with it. Like it's so much tedious stuff. Or they'll just bring in the, pardon me, a DWG into the data collector. The issue with all of those workflows is they're very manual. If I'm going through and cleaning up an Excel file manual, uh, there's you know human error because we're manipulating data in Excel file. I can't tell you how many times I blew blew my uh, coordinates and setups because I was uh, messing with the CSV trying to clean it up uh, when I was out in the field. Not a fun, not a fun mistake to, to realize you made. Um, you know, you lose like two hours of work trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, and then, and then also um, bringing in the uh, straight DWG uh, into the data collector. It'll do a few things for you. It'll automatically place points for you on the blocks, but it recognizes the insertion point on the block. Well, if I'm bringing in a block for, um, you know, say I've got a block for an air handling unit, I don't want that block on the insert. I don't want the insertion point uh, to be where my point gets placed because that insertion point is probably looking at the center of gravity. You know, that's probably where they're looking at, the centroid of it. But that's not where I want my point to be placed. Um, you know, so, you know, you got to keep that stuff in mind. Maybe I'm looking at the geometry. I went on four corners or whatever it is. So you, you have to, you know, think a little bit more about those processes and if i do it in apl i can i can automate all that stuff pretty easily yeah yeah i agree but there's my teaser man my 10 minute trailer for a, I like a it. four minute a four minute uh, <laughs> <webinar>. <laughs> you kind of incorporated all of it though like i like how you went from autocad and really into the functionality of all of it with revit navisworks even of, of selecting similar of choosing you know um well, automating it really is what you're going to be able to do. Oh, yeah. Our, our Navisworks one is going to be very short. People are going to be like, oh, is that it? <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's yeah, why that's we're going it. to go into 360 layout, too. Like, yeah, Navisworks yeah. is, yeah, Navisworks is Navisworks. You got your selection sets. You got your, you know, selection tree built out. You you can grab a lot of information really quick and lay out those points um, super fast, I want to say. Honestly, I mean, it, it's yeah. it's about cleanup after that. I want to say are really tweaking what information or what uh, model elements and placing those into your sets and knowing where you want to place those points. Yeah. The the one detriment Navisworks has, even though it has the ease of use functionality is the ability or the lack of ability to export a DWG. So that really hinders us when we get to the layout portion, because 
uh, you know, there's a lot of fu uh, funkiness that happens when you bring an IFC into a data collector. Um, yeah. Doesn't matter what brand data collector. Some people say they have better workflow. I promise you, they're all they're all uh, half-assing it. Um, they work really well in 3D, but when you get to the 2D, um, you start to lose some stuff. It's uh, it's definitely weird. So I like to export the IFC to a DWG inside of uh, AutoCAD. And that way I'll bring in the, um, the floor plan for layout that way. So that way I'll have my 2D and my 3D because I'll have the IFC. Um, that said, the, um, the, the best method for me in, in Navisworks is to kick that straight into BIM 360 layout. Yeah, I agree. No file formats, no conversions. Don't worry about it. Just nope. pump it to the cloud, drop it in there, open it up on your smartphone or your tablet. Connect yeah. to your total station. Well, now your, that it's top. new, well, I mean, are you talking glue or are you talking new? I'm talking new, man. Glue's old. Yeah. Glue's yesterday's yeah, news. Glue's old school. It's old school, yeah. man. New school is awesome. I'm, I'm telling you what, um, being able to create points with the Android version just straight from your mobile device or your tablet, yeah. like this is what this is and where it is. And then being able to say, okay, wait, no, wait this is an issue like we need to go ahead and and notate this assign responsibility and track it throughout the pro yeah heck yeah, yeah. If, if you can leverage the power of the docs uh communication collaboration platform with your layout process that's awesome man that's what yeah. we're, that's you know you're, you're really communicating you know we always talk about field to finish uh we always talk about you know site to office communication we talk about these these terms and buzzwords but uh bim 360 docs through layout is actually bringing that kind of full circle um, there's some really cool stuff to, to talk about when you get into BIM 360 layout. I want to call it next gen. It's not really next gen. It's current version. Uh, we always say next gen just because we're so, we were, we were in the field and glue days. We were old school. We were, the new stuff. Yeah, we're, we're the, the old dogs. <laughs> uh, uh, back in my day, we uh, had to load stuff up through glue. You had to merge all the models together and then you could do your layout. Back in my day, we had separate databases all under the same name of BIM 360. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Oh, man. But but the uh, the new version, um, there's a few things that caught me up that I'm, I'm happy that we're going to be able to demystify. Like, uh, for instance, whenever you bring in your, your CAD file uh, or whatever file you've got, Navisworks, doesn't matter, IFC, uh, and you're doing layout on it, uh, when you bring it into your, your smartphone, you, you know, you, you go through the layout app, you, you download the file locally so you can do some layout, you know, uh, offline. Um, you'll notice that there are no points there. You're like, where are my points? What's going on? You have to physically go in and say import APL points. And the reason is um, those points that get created inside of um, BIM 360, they're different than APL points. APL points are XYZ points. Um, you know, uh, they're essentially BIM geometry. Points are like issues. That's exactly it. BIM 360 points are actually XYZ uh, um, uh, based G, um, uh, issues. So they're issues. It uses the issue creation engine in BIM 360 to create the the points for you to lay out. So it's pretty interesting the way that works, but. Uh, Dude, it's so much. It's got so much more functionality. We can connect to GPS units now, like because uh, it uses the NMEA uh, file format. All G GPS units do. It's pretty standard. Um, we um, we've got so much new functionality with it. I love it. Uh, I do have a, a complaint about. It. I have a complaint about every product. So uh, yeah, everybody knows what that. So my, what is it? Uh, the docking on the on the screen on the oh, side. Oh yeah, dude. So that's horrible, man. You get a smaller screen and you realize that. Uh, how am I gonna do layout with this? Yeah, you need a 10-inch tablet for the you next. You need gen, a big man. tablet. Yeah. Now uh, the 10.1. Check out the ruggedized Samsung uh, Galaxy. Uh, yep. I hear great things for that. You and I have had some success with the uh, FC uh, 6000A. Android. I think it was a seven inch. Uh, I like it. That's great. Uh, again, though, I, I think I'd like to have a 10 inch Small man. screen. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I want the bigger screen. Yeah. That's just the uh, American in me. I want it bigger. It's got to be a bigger screen. <laughs> Damn it. I want a 56 inch TV out there. To yeah, dude. You better put that thing on a swivel and I want it to flip down and I'm going to lean over it and, and draw on it. Well, the, the native, uh, the, the, the native, the, uh, um, uh, converted text and he wants to put it on a belt buckle. 
<laughs> walking on the job site, got my, my tablet on a belt button. Oh, good lord. Wow. Oh, good lord. Oh, man. That's awesome. I, I will say, dude, uh, you and I, we haven't gone on too many tangents this episode, bud. Yeah, nope. Nope. <sighs> Sips beer. Oh, I man. I like the Kermit the Frog meme there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude. No, I think this was a good episode. I think this was a really good episode. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, uh, just, you know, I, I think uh, there's a lot of content out there that you and I have been in lately that we want we want our uh, our uh, BWE fans to check out. Uh, you and I chatted about this at the beginning of this episode. We've got some big things planned here pretty soon. Got to get some time dedicated to it, some write-ups, and um, – some good content, uh, you know, some brew sessions coming up pretty soon. Um, I keep saying soon. It's uh, probably about two weeks away. Um, oh, that is soon. That is soon. That is That's pretty awesome. soon. That's exciting, yeah, dude. About two episodes out, man, and uh, two more episodes, and then we'll have a, a, a brew episode. We'll have a, a special, man. It'll be the, the Brewing with Bim special as I butcher a, uh, a Citra IPA uh, recipe. <laughs> but... Uh, I just want to say thanks to all our fans. You guys, uh, you guys are great. Um, you, um, you know, you guys know where to find us. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, our website is, you know, www.brewingwithbim.com. We have a YouTube page. Check us out there. All the videos, um, you know, we're not just talking. If you're listening to us on the iPad or I, or uh, I can't even talk iTunes, um, iPodcast, whatever it is, uh, Apple platform or Castbox or anchor or any of that stuff, you know, um, you can check us out also on, on YouTube. We've got our own, um, uh, channel there. You can watch the videos, see what we're drinking. Um, and, uh, watch the funny faces and watch Dave get eat up by mosquitoes. But, uh, so thank you. And, uh, like follow, subscribe. <laughs>